the biggest myth that we're told by people is that life is short. I've always never understood that. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's like the longest thing we ever experience. What I always tell people is I say, don't listen to those people. You know, life is life is so long and we have so much time. And so my biggest advice to people is to be patient. I'm somebody who believes that my path and, and where I'm going in life has already been determined and, and uh, my ancestors and the creator already know uh, where and what I'm going to do. And so for me, I just put my faith in, in the creator and I put my faith in my, in, in my ancestors and those people who are watching over me. Welcome to another episode of Not Invisible, Native Peoples on the Front Lines. I'm your host, Leandra Neffin. Joining us today is Native TikToker and Indigenous influencer, Zhaonang Webb. We will be discussing the Indian Act, the UN Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples, and his journey towards reconnecting with his Anishinaabe language. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Zhaonang. Please introduce yourself to our listeners today. Sure. Thank you so much. Ani bojo, everyone. Zhaonang indigenous cause. Jijaka ndorem, Nishinaabe, Nindindao, Mijasagi, Nishinaabe, Ndonjaba. So hello, everyone. My name is Zhaonang. And like you just heard, I'm, uh, I'm of the Crane Clan in the Anishinaabe Nation. I'm from the community of Kitigan ZB through my mom. And then my dad is also from Curve Lake First Nation, which is in, here in Ontario. And I was born and raised in a little small uh, Anishinaabe community population of about 250 people called Michisagi Anishinaabe in Burley Falls, Ontario. So I'm really excited to be here. I, it's always a pleasure to get to sit down and uh, and have these wonderful conversations. Yes, absolutely. And we're looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. So thank you for introducing yourself to our listeners. I want to just start off with your social media content creating and, and how that really got started on your journey. How is that going and, and where did that all begin? Sure. So first I'll back up to the summer before I went to school, actually, because it kind of paved the way for for. My, where my life has been going. But I think I can I can speak for a lot of people in where the first summer of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people were left being stuck at home and having a lot of time to think for themselves and to think about where they're going and kind of have those reflective times. And uh, that really hit that really hit me pretty hard in that first year of COVID-19. I was kind of really stuck thinking about myself and thinking uh, about where I'm going. And so it was kind of during that period that I kind of had my my epiphany moment of wanting to go back to school and to exploring my my identity as a as an Anishinaabe Indigenous person. And so I enrolled in Trent University, and uh, it wasn't until I got here that I made a, a, a good number of Indigenous friends here at this school. And what I would do is I would make funny, I would make funny like Snapchat skits of myself, and I would like send them to all of my friends. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them came back saying like, oh, you're so funny, you should start a TikTok, you should start a TikTok. And for a while, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't know, right? And uh, I've always been a very kind of confident, not very shy person, but there was something about joining a new app and trying to basically just put my face and my silliness on the internet and seeing where it took, where it took me. I was kind of nervous about that, but uh, my friends talked me into it and I finally started to basically take what I was already doing 
uh, on like Snapchat videos. And I just decided to start making videos and put them on, on TikTok. And so for a long time, it was just something that I did on the side for a little bit of fun. And, and things didn't really begin to pick up for me until about six or seven months later when I covered an act of resurgence that happened in my community where my community had a blockade and there was a protest. And so I utilized my platform and my, my skills to amplify what was happening in my community. Kawartha Anishinaabad blockade continues. Awaiting Parks Canada's consultation, they still have not gotten a hold of Kawartha Anishinaabad to resolve this issue. Today, many of our members gathered to raise a flag on the dam and to get together for some singing and food. Our community members are very grateful for all the support we've been given these last few days. Miigwech. And so that's where kind of my passion for, for, for like creating these videos and using those skills kind of all started was when I started to uh, make those videos. And then after that, I just kind of made videos that, uh, that kind of felt comfortable for me or, or that I was interested in at the time. And it wasn't until about a whole year into my content creation that I really began to, to get comfortable and to really dial down on the type of videos that I'm good at creating. And so that's when my series, like um, the Indian Act Facts series and all the videos that you can see on my account now, um, it was about that year in, so about eight months ago, that that those videos really started to become created. We're looking forward to seeing that continued growth in terms of the new projects that are coming down the pipeline. I wanted to ask, though, just to kind of rewind a little bit, can you just talk us through what was happening in your community that you were sort of highlighting just for some of our listeners that may not be aware of this kind of resurgence and protest that was happening? Yeah, sure. So a little bit of backstory, actually. My, my community is a non-registered, recognized community. So what, what that means is it doesn't fall into the Indian Act system like uh, like another reservation would, for instance. So our community is, is it's, a, it's a recognized Anishinaabe community, but it doesn't fall under the Indian Act system. And so with it not falling under the Indian Act system, there's, there's some boundaries in the way and, and, and our community is a little bit more likely to be ignored. And sometimes there's some communication and a lot of stuff that, that sometimes gets uh, glossed over because we're not registered under the Indian Act system. So, you know, there's pros and cons to being a community that's registered under the Indian Act, and there's pros and cons to being a community that isn't, right? And one of those cons is that our community isn't communicated with, with the same regards as to another community, right? And so what happened is uh, Parks Ontario, in partnership with the municipal government, they needed to retrofit and rebuild all of the dam system along the Trenton Severn Waterway. Um, because it's Parks Canada that that monitors and and controls all of the uh, the dam system along the Trenton Severn Waterway, and what happened was is Parks Canada began construction on the dam in Burley Falls, but they did so with only having consultation and permission from um, a neighboring community that isn't ours. So basically, what happened was the the people of Kwartanishinaabe in Burley Falls kind of stepped in and said, "No, you can't you can't go ahead with this construction unless you you proceed with the proper consultation process with Kwartanishinaabe." And so 
Uh, that's kind of what started it all. And the, the blockade lasted about three weeks and the consultation process began. And the process was ongoing for a number of months. But unfortunately, the, the process was taking too long where the, the construction company that was contracted to do the work decided to back out of the project. So Parks Canada was kind of forced to brush it under the fridge kind of thing until they can find another contracting company to kind of take on the work. So that type of work is the type of work that would take uh, kind of years to finish. So it's something that they want to get they want to get started on. But they know now that if they want to go ahead and proceed with that with that construction, that they'll have to do that consultation process with Kawartha Anishinaabe. So that kind of that's kind of what stemmed that whole issue. And uh my my part to play was I utilized uh, my content and my pages to kind of create these kind of reporter style videos where I was like, this is what's happening at the Korth Anishinaabe blockade. And I kind of talked about what was happening. We've done it. After three long weeks at the blockade, Korth Anishinaabe and Parks Canada has begun proper consultation. And we couldn't be more grateful for all the support we've been given from all you guys, our petition signers, and to the people bringing us food and blankets and supports. I end this by saying miigwech. Thank you. And if you scroll a, a long ways in my account, you can find those videos still. And I, I was also responsible for starting a petition where people could sign and kind of like take their stand and stand with Korth Anishinaabe. Uh, and we actually got that petition over 30,000 signatures. So it was a proud moment for me to be able to assist my community in that way. And the outcome was a little disappointing, but it's really kind of uh, given us a lot of lessons and given us a lot of skills. Uh, moving forward should should something like that happen again. Yeah, absolutely. You're kind of bringing up some really kind of relevant issues that we have in the United States in terms of federal recognition. Has that impacted you or created any obstacles in terms of your own kind of reconnection journey with Anishinaabe? I mean, has there been any obstacles in terms of not having that status? So it's funny you mentioned that because kind of what's happened with our community is the members of, of our community, how the history works is our community was founded by five families that had willfully given up their, their Indian status card to move off of reserve and seek a better life in this new in this new spot of land. And so this was during a period in the 1800s where uh, if you were initi- if you were a native and you wanted to live off reserve, you had to assimilate and give up your status, right? And so these these five families, they decided to do that. They decided to give up their status because they saw a better life for themselves in Burley Falls. And this was during the height of the logging industry. And there was a lot of tourism at the time. And so those families found a lot of work in that community with logging and with fishing guiding and kind of tourism. And so it wasn't up until kind of these last, you know, 10, 30 years that our community has actually been able to trace our ancestry back to those communities that our families had left. And we've been able to actually acquire Indian status through those communities. So (laughs) the people in Burley Falls were kind of confusing because we kind of have like almost dual citizenship, right? So I, I have my Indian status. Uh, I'm a, I, I register under the Indian Act with Kittigan ZB because my mom moved to that community, but she she's uh, status uh, from Kittigan ZB. And so a lot of the members in Burley Falls are actually status registered, like Indian people under the Indian Act, you know, registered Indians, right? But we also have a card that says we're from the Korth Anishinaabe and that we're, we're exempt of certain treaty rights. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is the people of uh, Korth Anishinaabe and Burley Falls, they were absent a lot of the, the signing of treaties in the area. So we see ourselves as still entitled to the treaty rights that were signed away by certain communities. So we have a little card that says are exempt from, from treaty so-and-so under so-and-so act, right? So we kind of have like a, almost like a dual citizenship type thing going on. But as for barriers with my reconnection process and finding my way, I, I wouldn't say there there's a lot of boundaries in the way of being seen and being recognized as an Indigenous person. I've always looked that stereotypically Indigenous. I've, I haven't, um, I've never had to deal with, with having, uh, with white passing. And um, I've always had parents who were always strong in their identity and knew who they were as Anishinaabe people. So for me, it wasn't so much about struggling to navigate my identity, but it was more about, you know, finding the resources and and making those connections was kind of the hard part, right? And so that was very much what has also led uh, me going to Trent University because getting into an Indigenous Studies program is a great way to make connections with people in your community who, you know, might be able to get you into a sweat lodge or might be able to get you to ceremony and that sort of thing. So for me kind of the hurdle was was finding my way back into those communities. And for me, uh, kind of going to school was a part of that avenue. And I guess my content creation was also uh, another step into that community as well. Yeah, and you're kind of bringing to mind a conversation that we had previously with Pam Palmiter. You know, you're talking about kind of action and we all have a place. And even in, you know, my tribe, we have a clanship governance, right? In terms of our rights, our roles, our responsibilities to our communities. But when we think about that kind of role, as you said, you know, action, action oriented, you know, even in our language, languages, uh, indigenous languages tends to be verb oriented. What I guess I, I want to pose this question to you and we pose this question to Pam as well. But what does land back mean to you? Sure. Land back. I, I, I remember I made a video about land back last summer, actually. What does land back mean? Land back doesn't mean that you have to give physical land title over to Indigenous peoples. It means to put Indigenous peoples in the forefront of all climate conversations. And it's about our right to self-determination and governance over traditional territories and resources. If Indigenous peoples were made a part of the conversation, our oceans might not be on fire. At the time, I, I remember seeing a lot of kind of misconceptions of what people thought land back was all about. And so to me, at that time, I remember a lot of people were frustrated with the thought that when Indigenous peoples were throwing around that phrase land back, they thought that they meant, you know, that everybody has to give up their land and just give it back to Indigenous peoples, right? To me, land back is all about giving um, giving Indigenous peoples kind of that authority over kind of what happens on their territory. So it's more about giving land sovereignty back and and the right to self-determination. It's really interesting because it kind of links back to even your activism work that kind of kicks off your content creation, you know, where you're talking about this kind of blockade that was happening in your own community and stuff. But when you think about, I guess, your work, you know, because you, you do speak a lot about kind of you know, future-oriented sustainability, you know, thinking about what path we are forging for our descendants, our children, grandchildren who come after us. What I would like 
to ask, I guess, really is what advice would you give to Indigenous youth who are coming up and who are kind of watching your content and and learning from from some of the things that you're providing in terms of that information? I think my best advice, kind of the biggest myth that we're told by people is that life is short. I've always never understood that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like the longest thing we ever experienced. What I always tell people is I say, don't listen to those people. You know, uh, life is life is so long and we have so much time. And so my biggest advice to people is to be patient. I'm somebody who believes that my path and, and where I'm going in life has already been determined. And, and uh, my ancestors and the creator already know uh, where and what I'm going to do. And so for me, I just put my faith in, in the creator and I put my faith in my, in, in my ancestors and those people who are watching over me. And I put faith in those people that they'll help me stay true to, to that path. And that as long as I seek guidance and I seek seek out the creator and I have a relationship with my ancestors, that I'll find my way on that path. So kind of my biggest advice is always to be patient. Um, everybody always wants everything right away. And so I've always learned that things will things will come to you when they're when you're meant to get them. And that I always tell reconnecting indigenous peoples, you always want to know everything right away. And so I always say, you know, spend spend a long time just sitting there and listening and uh, certain things will get said and you'll absorb and you'll take in certain things that you were that you were meant to take in. And I think that when we uh, when we go seeking things, when we ask so many questions and when we, when we go and try to find things, so we sometimes get lost and we're not meant we, we find things we weren't necessarily meant for. As Anishinaabe people specifically, we have what's called uh, Anishinaabe responsibility. And certain aspects of our responsibility are to be good community members, you know, help our community, help our young ones and that sort of thing. So maybe uh, maybe look to your community and kind of look to see what's needed there and, and start there. So uh, for me, you know, my community is very much missing ceremony and very much missing a lot of those aspects of communities that are missing. And so for me, uh, one of my passions is to kind of have to leave my community and seek the help of my neighbors and of my my relatives elsewhere to to maybe one day, you know, when I'm 80, 85, 90 years old, to maybe bring that ceremony and bring it back to my community. So I'm always thinking about those seven generations ahead of me and thinking about what can I do in this life that's going to benefit and send ripples into those those future seven generations. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess thinking of those ripples and, and kind of the work that you're doing now, I know that you mentioned you are, you kind of mentioned that the work that you're doing is, is in series, kind of the Indian Act series. What's upcoming for you in terms of those series that you have planned for the future on your social media accounts that we could look forward to? Well, the Indian Act series, it can't last forever, right? So I want people to have their jaw hit the floor from something I told them about the Indian Act. And then, and then go sit down at a computer and just start searching things and, and learning on their own. This summer, I, I have some ambitious projects, um, but I'm, I'm mostly going to just kind of take things as they come. Uh, I do aspire to possibly start my own podcast this summer. Uh, so you might, you may or may not see a podcast uh, come from me. Uh, it would be a very casual podcast. It would be kind of like a, a very raw conversation style podcast that'll probably be in partnership with a fellow colleague of mine. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to let let things kind of fall in front of me and take them as they come kind of thing. Yeah. Let ancestors guide and direct you. Very, very organic approach. And we are looking forward to 
amplifying, supporting in any way we can your work that you're doing, because it's such sacred and, and important work, especially for our young and up and coming Indigenous scholars, children, people. So in, in that vein, what can we do or what can our, fo- our followers and listeners do to, to find and support the work that you're doing? Is there anything out there that you'd like to kind of shout out or amplify? You can definitely find me um, on Instagram and TikTok um, at Jowanong. So that's Z-H-A-A-W-N-O-N-G. My Instagram and my my TikTok are pretty much mirror accounts. And uh, anything I create on TikTok also goes on to Instagram. So I make it more accessible that way because there's not a lot of uh, older generation that are on TikTok. I try to hit both accounts. And so... And if there's a project I'm working on, you can almost certainly find it there. There's also a link tree that's attached uh, to my accounts in my bio where you can find a lot of excellent kind of starter resources to get your to get your own homework kind of rolling and like learn about the residential school systems and, and so on and MMIW. And there's a few pages on there that you can donate to and show your support if that's something that you're capable of doing. Okay, thank you, Jeanong. I feel like I'm I'm watching the emergence of a future Indigenous studies professor. You know, this amazing work that you're doing and making it easily accessible to a global audience. So I want to just say, Wangi de Weebdaha, thank you for, for joining us today, for entering into this conversation and this really important work that you're doing. We're huge fans. So you heard it here first, listeners. Go and follow him on all his social media accounts. And we thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Zhaonong. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that you brought me on and I'm very thankful that I, that I got to be a part of it. This has been Not Invisible, Native Peoples on the Front Lines, a House on Fire production. To learn more about Zhaonong, follow him on Instagram and TikTok at Zhaonong, that's Z-H-A-A-W-N-O-N-G. This episode is produced by Victor Mako, Spirit Buffalo, and J.B. Hart. Our editor is Abby Franz. Research by Sarah Rose Harper. Our theme song is Another Side by Wild Whispers, produced by Ben Reno, Eli Love, and Megan Lee. This season of Not Invisible is produced with support from Earth Rising Foundation, our Patreon producers, Kathy Dewar and Rena Krishnan, and our friends at Buy Me a Coffee. We'd like to give a special shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. You too can become a patron by finding us at Red House Series on Patreon or Buy Us a Coffee. Links in our website, redhouseseries.com. Wangide Wibdaha. I thank you all. Mm-hmm.